to Hotel Bar Sessions, the podcast where three philosophers sit down at the end of a long conference day to chop it up at the hotel bar, which, as we all know, is where the real philosophy happens. Welcome back to Hotel Bar Sessions. I'm your host, Rick Lee, and as usual, I'm joined by my wonderful colleagues, Dr. Lee Johnson and Dr. Charles Peterson. How y'all doing? Cold. Cold, man. It's so cold out there. I suppose the weather apps are trying to be helpful when they tell you the feels like temperature, but I look at it and I'm like, just don't. Just don't. Oh my God, I am the exact opposite. I'm like, who cares what the actual temperature is if that's not what it feels like? Well, Lee, when the difference is between 10 and 5, I'm like, does that really make a difference? (laughs) Well, true fact. (laughs) So Rami's looking over at us, and we've been sitting here long enough without cocktails. So Charles, what are you drinking? What are you ranting and raving about? Oh, I think something sad and speaks to a certain pessimism about the conditions of existence. So I'm going to go ahead, and I don't know how Rami found this. I think he ran across the store to the gas station, but he's going to give me an old English malt liquor. I'm going to go with a 40 ounce. (laughs) That's what that paper bag was. I'm I'm taking it back to the drinks of my childhood. (laughs) Old E. Thanks, Rami. Give me a glass. I can pour this in and weep quietly into the glass and then drink my tears along with the oldie. (laughs) Oh, my God, that escalated quickly. (laughs) So maybe you start with your rant then, I'm supposing. Yeah, I'm starting with my rant. And my rant is the gods of guitar. I don't mean the classic legendary shredders and rock guitarists. I mean the actual metaphysical beings that control the affairs of the guitars because they clearly did not appreciate my rant about having to tune a 12-stringer <laughs> because my 12-stringer, which was sitting in my bedroom, fell over and the head broke off. Oh, oh no. My God. So my rant is the gods of guitars who are quite capricious and quite wrathful and vengeful. Yeah, don't mess with them gods, Charles. Don't mess with them gods. The flip side is my rave is my gorgeous, fantastic wife is turning 50 this week. And I'm so excited. It's been an amazing adventure with her. We've known each other 30 years. We've known each other for 30 years and we will have been married for 20 years come this August. So I'm so excited and just so deeply grateful for her choosing me. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Welcome to the club of uh, 50 and over. I'm not in that club. I didn't welcome you. (laughs) He was talking to the object of my rave. I just wanted to make sure the stenographer got that on the record. (laughs) So, Lee, what are you drinking and what are you ranting and raving about? So today I'm just going to have a Yingling lager. Shout out to all my old Villanova grad school friends. Solid, solid beer. Today I am raving about Sriracha. Almost everything is made better by adding Sriracha to it. My favorite thing is to add Sriracha to like literally anything that comes in a Campbell's soup can. It makes every (laughs) soup better. 
Sriracha on eggs is amazing. Sriracha is like one of the probably, if I could take three things to a desert island to make my food better, Sriracha would definitely be one of them. So, yeah. Also, there's a really great documentary, I think, on Netflix. Yes, I saw that. It's great. So, yeah, definitely check that out. Today, I am ranting about Celtic music. I know that I mentioned this in our episode on music, but I hate Celtic music so hard. I was on hold with my eye doctor's office yesterday, and they had Celtic music, which, you know, hey, even if you do like Celtic music, it's not good on hold music. (laughs) But it was the exact kind of Celtic music that I hate the most, which is that leprechaun-y frenetic you know gives me anxiety just to listen to it oh it drives me crazy i hate it i hate it i hate it did you it. say leprechaun-y really leprechaun-y yeah but you know what i'm talking about like i mean i also am not a huge fan of the dirges either but it's the speedy leprechaun music that drives me absolutely crazy so yeah <laughs> thumbs down for celtic music. an irish peasant on crank yeah what were they so happy about <laughs> Thank you for losing all of our listeners in Ireland. Well done, yeah. Lee. Well done. Sorry. So let's cross Florida and Ireland off of our subscriber list. Maybe this is the wrong time to mention that I am, in fact, a citizen of Ireland. Well, can you do something about the music? Do you get to vote or whatever? Is there a national referendum? Maybe this is also the time to mention that Rick is a leprechaun. That's right. That's right. So, leprechaun, what are you drinking? And what are your rants and raves? Well, the weather here in Chicago has turned definitely toward winter. And that puts me in the mood either for whiskey or for stout. And so I checked in with Rami and he's got a New Holland stout called Poet or The Poet, I think. It's an American style oatmeal stout that for a stout is not really high alcohol content. And so you can drink a lot of them. So... New Holland, The Poet. It's a delicious stout. This week, I am ranting, and I so hesitate to say this, but I am ranting about Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I don't know what has gotten into her, but these so-called negotiations with the teachers' union have gotten out of hand. She is just not budging one inch. And there are legitimate health concerns that the teachers have, and they have concerns about their students. And I just don't understand why she's refusing to negotiate. And she's going to dock their pay, and she's threatening to sue. So Mayor Lightfoot, just calm down a little bit and listen. I'm going to slip in a sub-rave Because I initially was going to rave about the life and work of Sidney Poitier, who we sadly lost this week. And I wanted that to be marked. I remember as a kid seeing that man on TV and I thought, this is what people mean when they say class. So we lost another giant this week. But my real rave this week is, in general, the music of Rosemary Clooney. Yes. And in particular, it never entered my mind. And wish that you were there again to get into my 
That song is one of the most beautiful songs, and she does a remarkable job. Bing Crosby once called her the hardest working woman in show business. That woman made an album a year, including the very year she died. So Rosemary Clooney is my rave this week. All right, Lee, you're in the hot seat this week. What are we talking about? So today I want us to talk about superstition. I think that this is touching on several conversations that we've already had before, including the conversation that we had in several different episodes about critical thinking and the powers or lack thereof of critical thinking. I think Charles and I are proponents of the powers of critical thinking and Rick is deeply suspicious of the powers of critical thinking. But I also think that this might tie to our episode on conspiracy theories and many of our conversations about the nature of belief in general. It turns out that a lot of people are superstitious, even people who won't admit that they're superstitious. As a matter of fact, did you guys know that four out of five professional athletes are superstitious? That might not be surprising, but four out of five professional athletes are superstitious. So I want to talk about what are superstitions? I mean, do they require a kind of belief in a supernatural power? Are they just rituals or practices? What is their purpose? Is it about trying to gain some kind of control or resolve some kind of uncertainty? And of course, I also want to talk about what, if any, superstitions that we have. So today, the topic is superstition. So, Lee, this is pretty provocative, I think, but I need to know exactly what you mean by superstition, because if we're going to ask the questions about how do people sort of fit them in and what are they investing in and how do people understand them? So I actually need a working definition from your part. Oh, Charles, you know that Lee came with like three other adjacent (laughs) concepts and she knows how to define exactly where superstition fits in. So funny that you asked. (laughs) (laughs) No, it turns out this time the well is dry. There just really isn't any single definition of superstition. I think that in general, when we talk about superstitions, we're talking about, I think, a belief in some kind of a supernatural force, whether that's fate or God or the planets or the moon or whatever that will intervene in some way to influence unpredictable factors in our lives in order to resolve some kind of uncertainty. That's a rough working definition that I'd like to start with. But also when we talk about superstitions as a plural noun, I do think that we're often talking about practices as much as we're talking about beliefs. Right. And sometimes those things can be separated and sometimes they cannot. So I suppose that's where I would want to start with a definition. Now, I was going to say, I asked that question because, and maybe we'll talk about this later, but I'm going to bring it up now anyway. (laughs) A part of me wonders, does it have to be something that is supernaturally grounded? Does it have to be a sense or connection or an investment in forces or entities or systems beyond the material world? I think that's a really good question. And my immediate inclination is to say yes, because, for example, if we talk about 
any particular superstition. I think embedded in both the belief and the practice is that if I do X, then Y will happen. That there's a kind of cause and effect relationship between the superstition, you know, either just the believing in it or the practice of it, like not walking under a ladder or whatever, and some effect that it will bring about. And so because how that happens, how that cause and effect are related is unknown, I think I would be inclined to say, yes, it does require some belief in some supernatural or at least unknown intervening force. If I knew what the connection between what I do and the effect that it causes was, we'd call that science. We wouldn't call that a superstition. I think you're exactly right, Lee, because I I wouldn't engage in superstitious activity or have a superstition if I didn't think that there were some things that are not determined by causal necessity. Now, whether that's supernatural or whether the natural world has a certain amount of contingency, so I think a, a kind of contingency has to be operative, but then the superstition comes into play because now I'm attempting to control that contingency. I'm attempting to insert a determinability and a determination where there normally isn't one. Yeah, but I think that that is evidence that you do believe that the world is determined by causal relations. Like you believe that your enacting of whatever is required of this superstition will bring about certain things where there otherwise would have been uncertainty, right? So I'm wearing this jersey for the fifth game in a row because for the last four games when I wore it, we won. There's embedded in that superstition the belief that my wearing this jersey will cause the team to win. Well, I mean, I'm still not completely convinced that it has to be an investment in the supernatural. I think it has to be an investment in trying to map the unknown or trying to develop patterns of systems, behaviors, explanatory systems that fill in the blank on the unknown. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the supernatural. Yes, the supernatural is a huge part of that. But also, I think that there are, and I know this sounds completely contradictory, but there may be faux scientific superstitions that exist, that there's an unknown about how things function, and that people engage in certain beliefs or particular sort of behaviors mapped onto a, a scientific framework that still meet the same needs or perform the same function as a supernatural-based superstition. Well, let me say this as an argument for why it does have to involve something supernatural is because I think the superstition is appealing to, exactly as you said, something unknown to connect a cause and an effect. So if I really wanted my team to win this game... There are non-supernatural ways that I could bring that about, right? Like I could, I don't know, bribe the quarterback or fix the game in some way. Deflate the ball. (laughs) But the fact that I wear a jersey or, I don't know, eat the hot wings during the second quarter or whatever. By the way, you guys, these are not my superstitions. I'm just saying, well, maybe one of them is. But I'm just saying (laughs) that, you know, the, the fact that I use these other superstitious practices seems to be evidence that I don't have a non-supernatural way to control the situation that I want to control or to bring about the results of which I am uncertain. So, I mean, not to go medieval on your asses, 
But <laughs> in, in, in the Middle Ages, there were a number of philosophers who wrote texts on what they called occult causes. So Aquinas has a short little text on this. Roger Bacon has a, a text on this. And, and you can find a lot of them. And what they're talking about, and Lee, you pointed this out earlier, what they're talking about is the word occult there means hidden. So that mm -hmm. there is some causal structure going on. It's just that the exact mechanism of that causal structure is hidden from us. And so when you wear your jersey and, you know, listener, you can't see this, but Lee doesn't have an item of clothing on her body at the moment that doesn't say <laughs> Memphis on it. True facts. <laughs> when, when you're wearing your jersey... I don't think that your idea there is that God or the angels or the gods or whatever will see my jersey and thereby intervene and make my team win or help my team win, but rather that through some unknown causal mechanism, your jersey is now connected to the way in which the game is played. And so you're going to wear your jersey to keep that causal mechanism going. But I think that I don't believe that whatever that mechanism is, that it's natural. Well, with, here's my thing. I think you can be superstitious and think either one. I think you can think mm. it's unnatural, but you can also think it's natural. But the point is, I'm trying to, to map a system of control and influence onto something that I recognize as inherently unknown. So I don't know why me wearing my Memphis hat or sweatshirt or eating hot wings before the game influences the team to win. It could be something from the sauce that wafts through the air in a stadium, or it could be light rays hitting my, my hat a certain way you know, at the football. I don't know. But I know this works. And like Rick said, I don't think it's 10,000 angels dancing on the head of my hot wing that's making my team win. Okay, but here, here's the thing. I think the... <laughs> I got medieval on that ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys, the thing is, is that you're wearing the jersey doesn't affect the team winning or not. We do know that. The fact Says that you, you believe it... <laughs> the fact that you believe it does has to involve some super, by which I just mean outside of the natural causes. So it doesn't have to be gods. It doesn't have to be angels. It could be, I don't, you know, who knows? It could be anything that is outside of the natural order of causation that you believe is causing this thing in the same way that the order of natural causation connects causes and effects. So in that last point, Lee, I think I was getting hung up on the use of the word natural and nature there. And I think the emphasis you just put is more on the sort of regular order versus a non-regular order of causation. And then I think I agree with you wholeheartedly. So I think I'm not superstitious, except that, so I'm a poker player. And I think if you ever play poker in a casino or, God forbid, in a tournament, you'll see an awful lot of superstition going on yeah, yeah. at the poker table. And I have a couple myself 
one of them is if I'm ever dealt pocket jacks, I fold them immediately. And that's just because of two bad beats I got. And so mm. I'm like, that's the hand of death. Mm. <laughs> but th- there are other things like my stack of the lowest denomination can never be twice as high as the next highest denomination. So then I have to make two stacks. Those are just habits I got into, not because I think they caused me to win, but because I don't want them to cause bad luck, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying it's causing the good thing, but I do think if I were to reflect on it, I am thinking it's preventing the bad thing from happening. Well, I mean, that's an interesting example. I'm also a poker player, and I do think that the more one can ritualize and kind of automate one's play in the game, the better player you are. The more variables you can take out of the way that you play the game, the more you can focus on the math, because that's all, especially tournament play, is about. So I can imagine that, let's say, you take one chip or two chips to place on top of your cards before you make your bets. Like, I would call that a superstition if you believed that not doing that would mean that the hand would not go your way or doing that would mean that the hand would go your way. But if you do that because you've made it a kind of ritual practice of your play, I think there is good reason to say this does actually make me play better because, again, I'm automating in many ways uh, a lot of these things that can, for many poker players, serve as distractions. Yeah, but that's what you're saying you're doing. I didn't hear Rick saying that that's what he's doing. I hear Rick saying that he believes there's a natural order, a flow of events that lead me to win. And if I don't do certain things, I'm going to disrupt that natural order. Yeah, but I think that if he actually believes that, that what he believes in is some supernatural connection between his practices and the way that hand plays out. I don't want to tempt the fates. Well, that, there's your answer right there. The fates are, su- are a supernatural <laughs> intervener. You don't want to disrupt the dealing of the cards or you don't want to trigger something in the player next to you that may set them off in a much more advantageous direction than what you're moving. I mean, I understand that superstition 99.9% of the time people think about it as being something connected to this larger metaphysics. I'm just saying that there may be room for it to exist outside of that order. And we can think about how do people map onto the unknown with these particular practices and beliefs. I don't know. Drinking urine keeps COVID away. That is a type. It's a type of superstition, but that's mapped onto this disbelief in a scienticity about how does one not catch COVID? How is that any different from throwing salt over one's shoulder, except for what's the source and the grounding for the order that one believes that one is influencing. I think that's a really good point. It's actually illuminating something that I had not thought of in exactly these terms. So I really appreciate this. It is the case that many superstitions or many people's superstitious beliefs are grounded in what you call a kind of scienticity, a belief that there's a relationship between certain causes and certain effects. They're not scientific. They're scientistic in the sense that they believe in the kind of religion of science without actually believing in the axioms of science. What's interesting is these texts I was referring to, all of them set about showing how what you think arises through occult causes could have a separate explanation. 
so that, Lee, I think you go a long way when you were talking about ritualizing and making automatic your poker play. As you were saying that, I started to think, wow, you know, it is really smart for me to have these practices. For one reason, it's because then I'm less likely to have tells, right? If I Mm -hmm. do the same thing every single time. Now, that never occurred to me. My explanation was luck. And so I think I did hold a kind of superstition, even if the effectiveness of my behavior could be explained in a scientific way, not just the scientistic way. Yeah, I mean, I think a s- analogous example, which I'm not sure I would properly call a superstition, but, you know, people who believe that prayer heals, some people believe that in what I would call a superstitious manner. I pray to a God and then God heals me because I prayed. But we do know scientifically that prayer heals, that people who engage in these ritualistic practices often reap the benefits of those ritualistic practices, which has to do with this psychosomatic relationship between psychological health and physical The power of, of positive thought. Yes. So I agree with you that there could be, just like in the poker play, there could be a actual relationship of cause and effect between the superstitious practice and the effect that the superstitious practice believes is being brought about supernaturally, which might have actual scientific explanations. Hey, listeners, before we have too many drinks and it slips my mind, if you can't catch us at the Hotel Bar, you can catch us on Twitter at Hotel Bar Podcast. You can also follow our HBS hosts individually on Twitter to catch their all-fair thoughts. You can follow Charles at at C underscore F Peterson. And Peterson is with an O, not an E. O, not an E. Rick is at at Rick Lee Philos. That's Rick Lee with two E's and Philo spelled like half of the word philosophy. And Lee is at Dr. Lee M. Johnson. The doctor's abbreviated and Lee spelled L-E-I-G-H. Now, back to our conversation. So, put in the way that you just did, Lee, it seems as if Well, two things. One is, it seems as if philosophy from its origins, insofar as it was trying to get at the actual causes of actual things, was the elimination of superstition. So even when Thales says everything is water, that's a move toward the elimination of superstition. And and to replace that superstition with actual causes. But then one has to wonder... What difference does it make? What's the benefit then of eliminating the superstitious understanding of the causes and replacing it with a so-called actual understanding of the causes? I agree with you that all of philosophy has, Western philosophy anyway, in the tradition that the West inherited from the Greeks through the Germans, has been a effort to disabuse people of superstition. If we went back to the ancient texts, we could say, 
why is true knowledge better than superstition? Well, it's the difference between doxa and episteme, that it's the difference between an opinion and the truth, true knowledge. And I think that I, for one, <laughs> do think that that's an important distinction. I, of course, could live my life superstitiously and make all kinds of false connections between causes and effects and maybe still live approximately the life that I'm living now. But I think it would be a significantly diminished life in doing so. So I think I agree with you, except that when I think about the first Matrix film, I forget the character's name, but that guy who decides to go back, I kind of get his point. Like, life on the outside really sucks. And if the delusion is good enough, so I'm not eating that gloppy oatmeal and wearing burlap, which, by the way, doesn't <laughs> drape well and nobody looks good in burlap. I'm eating steak and I'm dressing nicely. And so I kind of side with him. I'm not sure it's sufficient just to say that knowledge of the actual truth is always preferable to opinion, first. Second, to call something opinion is not to call it false. And so then I wonder whether what we're actually concerned about is the effectiveness that certain claims have, particularly claims that are not true. I could not possibly disagree with you more. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you serious? Yes. I could not possibly disagree with you more. I mean, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode about optimism and pessimism. Right. And one of the reasons that I said that I consider myself a philosophical optimist was because I said it's always better to know than to not know. That I would always rather have true knowledge over an opinion, even if that opinion made my life better, even if having the true knowledge made things worse, I would still rather have the true knowledge than false knowledge, than an opinion. Can I just interrupt to say that opinion is not identical to false knowledge? No, it isn't always. Right. But I think that when we're making this contrast, that it is. When you say, I'd rather be in the simulation than to know that it's a simulation and therefore be out of the simulation because my life would be worse outside of the simulation. That's your matrix point, yes. right? Okay, so yeah. I mean, I think in this case, we're saying that opinion is false knowledge. So Rick would much prefer to invest in the idea that there's a leprechaun with a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow versus the idea of like a spectrum of light and wavelengths that we can see with the bare eyes. Don't you saying, Rick? Well, but see, th this is exactly my point. My point is that the form is not nearly as relevant as the content. So for me, the question is not, is it opinion or is it fact or is it opinion or is it knowledge of truth, but rather the content matters greatly there. But also I come at this, and this goes all the way back to our discussion last season of comedy, that I am convinced that falsity is incredibly effective and that the truth is not an effective antidote to the effectiveness of falsity. If I could, once again, I could not possibly <laughs> disagree with you more. Are you? How did we get this Joker on a philosophy podcast? 
I think he actually is a leprechaun. What in the hell, Rick? Okay, Rick, let me give you an Fucking example. Celtic trickster god. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> okay, Rick, here's an example. It is much easier for people to believe that climate disaster is not as bad as it actually is. And by settling themselves in that belief, they can engage in all these superstitious practices. I mean, I'm loosely calling them superstitious right now, but they can engage in all of these practices. Like, I'm not going to use plastic straws. I'm going to buy my own grocery bags. I'm going to get an energy-efficient vehicle or whatever. And in engaging in those practices, rather than the real practices that they should be engaging in, if they actually reckoned with the true knowledge of the climate apocalypse that is on our doorstep, that's actually harmful. And okay, yeah, maybe they can live happier, more carefree Lee, lives. But like, really? You're not to interrupt, but I'm, I'm afraid we're vehemently agreeing here. I, that's not my point. My point is not that both knowledge and opinion are effective. My only point is that the truth is not always an effective antidote to a false opinion. But you would prefer the truth over a false opinion. I, I need to know the content. Uh, the context I just gave you. There, yes. Okay. But in the Matrix, no. In the Matrix, absolutely <laughs> not. But in my mind, there is an element that helps to think through these questions. And that's the element of, I guess we can call it sort of actualization. We can call it realization, call it sort of effectiveness. But there's a pragmatic element, which is what if knowing the truth and engaging in habits and strategies connected to living in the real doesn't make a difference. Right. Because here's pessimistic Charles. Despite my resolve for this year, pessimistic Charles says me using a paper straw or buying an energy efficient vehicle really isn't going to solve the problem of climate change. Because unless, I don't know, Royal Dutch Shell or BP or any of the major fossil fuel burning industries really begin to dramatically change their habits, what I do at my micro level doesn't make a difference. So if I choose to continue to invest in very superstitious activities around climate change that are no connection to the reality of the science of it, what difference does it make? And why shouldn't I live in that world? Well, I mean, I think this is where I think that Rick and I just agreed with one another, and I think maybe we're disagreeing with you, is that it makes a significant difference. Because if you believe that to just state it in the simplest possible way, that the climate is in danger, right? that nature itself is in danger, or at least the perpetuation of the human species, a livable planet is in danger, then presumably because you believe that and you believe it's true, you want to do something. And the fact that what you're doing is buying an energy efficient vehicle and not spending all of your time lobbying for these big corporations to make dramatic changes to what they're doing and for states to adopt really progressive and really aggressive climate protocols. That is the difference that it makes, right? Is that what you're doing is actually engaging in superstitious activities. If I buy this energy efficient vehicle, I'll be contributing to a livable planet for human beings. We know that that cause will not result in that effect. So, yes, it does make it. I could go darker with this, but I'm trying to be the turnover leaf <laughs> 2022, Charles. 
I mean, it's true that maybe there's nothing that can be done and probably there's nothing that can be done. But certainly I would call the cessation of drinking through plastic straws a superstition where I might not call lobbying and voting for and supporting, for example, candidates who are pushing progressive green deals and the boycotting of companies that are major energy expenders. I mean, those seem to me maybe not as superstitious. I don't know. Let me push this a little farther and say, I agree. I do agree with that. But I want to say, if we are at an nth moment within a particular phenomenon occurring, i.e. climate apocalypse or the planet becoming uninhabitable for human beings, then both types of behavior, whether it's behavior that's really actually connected to the very real scientific information and data that we have versus superstitious, magical, mapping onto what one believes to be the unknown, a pattern of behavior, then really what you're just dealing with is that to some degree, if we're talking about an nth level event, something that's, okay, that horse has left a barn, really what you're talking about is comparing possibilities. Like one thing may have a greater level of possibility, but not necessarily eventually be successful versus another thing, which eh, won't be successful at all, but still in that zero sum game is reasonably possible as well in comparison. I mean, I think that's true when we're talking about the kinds of practices that people engage in in response to the inevitability of dramatic climate change. But I want to get us back to superstitions for a second, because I think for superstitions, what makes them superstitions is that they're not about possibility, that they actually believe that there is a cause and effect relationship between the superstition and whatever practice that superstition entails and some effect that that correct practicing of that superstition will bring about. If I eat wings during the second quarter or wear my jersey, it's not that I think that this makes it more possible that my team will win. I'm actually believing that this is contributing to my team's win. And in that sense, and this goes back to the heart of what I called our vehement agreement. I mean, Foucault was right that knowledge is power. Let's just grant me for a moment, uh, let's call superstition knowledge, and I think Foucault would, that that knowledge then gives you the power precisely to control or determine the outcome of events that otherwise would be contingent or left up for grabs without your knowledge and wearing your jersey and and Lee is getting incredibly specific and now eating hot wings <laughs> in the second quarter. So I'm guessing that has happened in the, the household there. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, it's a new year and it's kind of coming as a shock to all of us that we're pushing up on the end of our third season here at Hotel Bar Sessions. As you know, HBS has so far remained commercial free and we've managed to keep afloat without any paid sponsorship despite our constant appeals to Fireball and Tito's to call us. Nevertheless, Podcasting is not a cost-free enterprise, and so we'd like to gently solicit you, our listeners, to consider supporting us. 
We've set up a Patreon page where for less than the price of a cup of coffee a day, you can help Charles, Rick, and I ease the expense of keeping our semi-intoxicated philosophical conversations going. So please visit patreon.com backslash hotel bar sessions where you will find five different support levels from shots at only $4 a month or cocktails at only $8 a month to more generous levels of commitment like our designated driver level at $12 a month or the dude level at $20 a month. And for our listeners who are swimming in patronage cash, we're also offering a Medici level at $50 a month. And yes, in case you were wondering, there are increasing benefits of access and swag associated with each Patreon level. We really appreciate you listening, and we'd really appreciate your support. Now, back to the episode. Okay, so I actually wanted to start with this question, but we just jumped right into the meat of the matter. But are you guys superstitious? Or more specifically, if you're superstitious, what superstitions do you engage in? Well, so I didn't even think about this until Charles, as an example, used that, namely throwing salt over your shoulder. I'm a, I'm a salt thrower, I have to admit. I, <laughs> I, I don't know that I have a belief behind it. I learned it from my grandmother. My mother did it. And anytime salt is spilled, I have to throw salt over my shoulder. So that's one that I have. And then I, I already mentioned that with poker, I have... A number of rituals, I'm not sure. Now, maybe Lee has robbed me of my superstition by replacing <laughs> it with a different causal explanation. So I still will engage in them, but I don't know that I could call them superstitions anymore. Charles? I'm thinking about it, and I was going to say, I don't even know if this is a superstition. You know, I tend not to speak ill of the dead, but I think we have evidence that that's really not the case anymore. Yeah. Recorded evidence. Recorded evidence. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't think I'm a superstitious person. And I think part of it is I don't have the discipline to get into regularized habitual behavior. Because I think with superstition, there may need to be a little touch of OCD to really make it stick. Like you've got to be someone who's always conscious, who's always knowing what's the exact motion, what are the various. I don't have any of that. I'm so <laughs> scattered. When it comes to my behavior, nothing. I, I don't even put my shoes on the same way two days in a row. <laughs> what about you, Lee? I don't think that I'm a superstitious person. I think that I will... Tell us more about the wings. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I will, for fun, engage in superstitious activities. But I would say I'm not a superstitious person because even when I'm doing it, I'm like, this has absolutely no effect on the outcome. So I grew up in a family... That was a huge SEC football family. My father was a quarterback. Okay. And so there were lots of superstitions in my house surrounding football, which is probably why all of my examples have been about football. But, you know, I remember a Thanksgiving day, I think, when we were watching a football game and I left the room to go to the bathroom and our team scored while I was in the bathroom and like nobody would let me come back in the room. Like, I, had to, I had to stand in the doorway and watch the rest of the game. 
I think that I still do things like that. You know, like I'll say knock on wood when I want something not to happen, but I don't actually believe that. And I don't have any like lucky charms or anything like that. Leprechauns. (laughs) (laughs) Leprechauns. I hate them. (laughs) However, this brings me to my actual point, which is that I do really believe that the practices, the superstitious practices are epiphenomena of much deeper beliefs. And so I think that you can engage in the practices in non-superstitious ways, like when I knock on wood. I don't actually think that knocking on wood is going to cause something to not happen, but I do it as a kind of indicator to people around. It's like a shorthand way of saying, I hope this doesn't happen. But I think that the believing it is the more important thing. And I don't think I have superstitious beliefs. But I also, you know, I don't believe in ghosts, I don't believe in angels, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in astrology. So this would be consistent with my... But she does believe in leprechauns. <laughs> and wings. No, I, will, I will say this, let me revise my earlier comments. If this is a superstition, I have the belief that you can speak things into existence. So certain things I won't say if I don't want them to happen. Okay, that's 100% superstitious. I guess I'm superstitious then. <laughs> So I won't say things that I don't want to occur or I don't want to happen because I do believe in the power of speaking things into existence. And you would describe that as belief in a supernatural interference in the normal course of events. I don't know. I mean, yeah, probably linked to a certain sense of the supernatural. Yeah, it is invested in a particular sense about how I believe reality can and does at times function. Okay, so that leads me back to something you said in the last segment, which is that there are ways of explaining superstitions and superstitious practices that don't involve a larger metaphysical story. And I can't think of any examples. And so I'm wondering if you can give me an example, because this is kind of part of my thesis here, is that I think that superstitions are epiphenomena of more deeply held beliefs. And so I want to know if what an example is of a superstition that doesn't have some attachment to a metaphysical. Can, can I try one while you're thinking, Charles? Yeah, sure. What if my chip stacking superstition were in my mind based on the fact that when my chips are stacked in a certain way, then the dealer will shuffle the cards to avoid knocking down one of my stacks And in shuffling the cards in that way, then the picture cards land in a place that I'm more likely to get them than not. Now, all of that is BS, but it's not a supernatural explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it not a supernatural? Because it's involving some force other than the natural forces at play in that phenomenon. It's involving some other force interfering in those to cause an outcome that has no natural causal explanation. No, it sounds like what he's saying is that if he arranges his chips in a particular pattern, then it will force the dealer to deal the cards in a particular sort of way. It's a spatial manipulation is what he's doing. Yeah, but that's we know that's not true. None, well, none of this shit is true, but I'm saying it's not based upon a mystical foundation. It is, though, because the only explanation of that has to involve some supernatural force 
that intervenes to make sure that he gets good cards and not bad cards or neutral cards when he does this. No, no, I, I think because there's no natural. No, he doesn't. He's well, a how? how? I, I don't know how because it's a fucking superstition. My no, the the dealer in stacking the chips in a certain way, the yeah. dealer in order to avoid knocking them down, yeah. shuffles the cards in a right. certain way that the dealer wouldn't shuffle otherwise. Right. Basically, he's saying that the dealer has to change his normal way of doing things based upon the order of the stacks so that he won't knock the stacks over. So that means he's shuffling a different way. There's no elf with that. You guys are trying real hard, but you are failing miserably because y'all are leaving out the most important part of this superstition, which is that y'all are leaving out the part where he said, so I get dealt better cards. What I said was that it forces... The cards from, well, I said picture cards, but in other words, it forces the cards from the winning hand to be shuffled in a certain location where I'm more likely to be dealt those better cards than if my chips weren't stacked in that way. Yeah, okay. Then in that case, you're saying the same thing. You're getting a better hand because you stacked your chips. But it's all causally based on... Well, and Charles gave in the first segment or second segment when he first brought it up... Charles gave an example that maybe I think that wearing my jersey reflects light in a certain way such that it affects the way in which a quarterback throws the ball or a lineman hits the tackle or all of these other things, all of which are natural causes that could in fact be the case. The only difference is they turn out maybe not to be the case. I mean, we could continue that and say team spirit or sort of enthusiasm for one's team in displays of the same colors and the hats and the merch that encourages and excites the members of the team and motivates them to play better and play harder and win. Yeah, I mean, I think that what y'all are doing is describing causal effects and not superstitions. I think that when Rick stacks his chips in a certain way because he wants a better hand. He's not thinking, I'm stacking my chips in this way so that the dealer won't knock down my chips and then can explain a chain of cause and effects that will then give him a better hand. When I cheer for my team, I think my cheering for my team is going to make my team win. I'm not saying my cheering for the team, and this is actually true, is going to make it harder for the lineman to hear the quarterback make his call. Certainly when I wear my jersey, I'm thinking if I wear this jersey, it's going to make my team win because I wore it last time and they won. I'm not thinking it's going to reflect the light in a certain way. So, I mean, I think that, again, all of the superstitions are based in the intervention of something, the fates, something not in the order of natural cause and effect that are intervening to bring about the effect that you want. And in that sense, our epiphenomenon of a metaphysical belief and a kind of supernatural intervention. So then, Lee, I think now I get your point. And that is that the providing of an order of causes, no matter how fanciful it might be, the providing of an order of causes removes the superstition. So that superstition would be the belief that things happen without cause. Can I just interrupt there? Because I I don't think that superstition is the belief that things happen without cause. I think that superstition is taking a situation in which the outcome is uncertain and it's inserting a relationship between a cause and an effect to make those effects 
certain, or at least the belief that th they'll be certain. And so in this way, I totally agree with what Charles said earlier, that superstitions are scientistic in that way, mm -hmm. that they do still believe in causes and effects. They believe that the superstitious act has a relationship of cause and effect to the desired outcome. They're practiced in situations where either the outcome is entirely uncertain or can't be predicted or in which one actually has no control over the outcome. But also there's an ineliminable epistemic element as well. Namely, that I only have a superstition in situations in which I don't know the actual causes of things. Exactly. So I think that, for example, people who don't understand football very well may believe that if I cheer really loud on this play, that it's going to actually help my team perform better. Whereas real football fans know, and I'm talking about being live at a game. Right. If I cheer really loud at this moment, it's going to make it very difficult for the offensive lines people to hear the call. Right. And that really does aid the defense in that play. And so there we would call the cheering of the person who doesn't understand the actual cause and effect a superstition and the cheering of the person who does understand the cause and effect, not a superstition. Yeah, I'm sorry for the, the ways in which I misunderstood this earlier, because put in that way, I, I think I agree with you 100 percent. And Rami, you can bring us our tag. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Walk away a winner. <laughs> no one to fold him. Is that a superstition? Right. <laughs> hey, we couldn't hear you while you were shouting into your headphones. So if you have feedback or suggestions for future topics, or if you just want to pick a fight with one of our co-hosts, or in fact all of us, just visit us at www.hotelbarpodcast.com and click on the interactive page. If you want to belly up to the bar with us, at least virtually, you can always email an audio clip, keep it under two minutes please, to hotelbarpodcast at gmail.com. If it's interesting, we're going to steal it from you. If it's not, we'll send you our Venmo handles and you can virtually buy us a drink. So, Charles, you, at the beginning of last segment, you said something that now is sticking in my craw a little bit. Namely, you said that you're not superstitious, maybe because you don't have OCD. <laughs> <laughs> and no offense to anybody who actually no. suffers from OCD. No, no disrespect. And, and as someone who, like, I don't suffer from OCD, but I do have a few compulsive behaviors. I'm wondering, could we separate compulsive behaviors from superstitions? And I can give two examples that I think are not, one is a superstition and one isn't. Well, I've already given the example of things I do at the poker table, the other thing is when I take dishes out of the dishwasher, I have to put the clean ones underneath the ones already in the cabinet. And if someone unloads my dishwasher and puts the clean ones on top, I, I can't sleep that night. That's a compulsive behavior. And I don't think there's a superstition there. 
And I'm wondering if you could help me tease those out, because it does seem, Charles, you were thinking that there's a ritualistic aspect that you have to do something in the same way and so on. And why is that not just compulsion? I think it can go both ways with superstitious behavior. I think that people can do it sort of loosely. But I think also that a lot of it is about how do we maintain this same arrangement of activities? How do we assemble this array of objects in this particular fashion? Because what you're trying to do is to make repetitive the good luck. And it seems to me, and I'm not a psychologist, but it seems to me that part of, of compulsive behavior is an attempt to order the world in a certain way and, and create a regularity about it, which makes it safe and comfortable and navigable. And it seems to me in certain ways, superstition is the same thing. I'm trying to order and map onto the unknown. I'm trying to create a regularity. I'm trying to make the world safe and easy for me to move through. So that's why I engage in this repetitive behavior. That's why I'm constantly doing this particular thing in a certain way. This is why I'm having the chicken wings in the second quarter. This is why I'm not coming <laughs> back into the room after my team scores. And it seems to me that there may be very similar processes behind both compulsive behavior and superstitions. Yeah, I completely agree. I do think that both compulsive behaviors and superstitions are to some extent about trying to gain an element of control over one's life. I think maybe for me, the significant difference between compulsive behaviors and superstitions is that superstitions involve a belief. Mm. They involve some kind of a quasi-religious or philosophical or scientific or speculative projection. And this brings me around to where I wanted to get in this conversation, which is what are the pros and cons of superstitions? I think that in my view, there are a lot of cons to superstitions. And I want to use one in particular, and this is going to get us all the way back to our very first segment about the difference between opinions and true knowledge. So one of the things that frustrates me a lot that I hear from a lot of people, more and more people now, involves superstitious beliefs about technologies. You know, don't say certain things around Alexa, or I don't want to have my phone close to me when I'm talking about something, because you know what? I did it one time and I saw these mm. ads pop up. And, you know, there is, of course, an entirely reasonable explanation for why those things happen which have to do with the fact that all of us act in patterned ways that we often don't recognize as patterned, but all of the technologies that we engage with certainly do. I think that it's deeply problematic to have those kinds of superstitions because it gets in the way of actually understanding how these things work and how they track you and also gets in the way of understanding how your own behaviors and activities are so regularly patterned mm. in ways that you may not want to recognize. Similarly, just going back to our discussion about climate change, there are a lot of superstitious activities that people engage in that they think makes a difference that doesn't make a difference when engaging in other activities actually could make a difference. And the superstitious beliefs really just get in the way of actually affecting the world and bringing about the effects in the world that they want to see. Yeah. And I think, Lee, this gets back to where I think we initially thought we were disagreeing, but came to agree, namely that what worries me more than the truth or falsity of a superstition or belief or opinion or knowledge is the effects of 
that knowledge, that belief, that superstition. But that leaves open the door for there being positive deployments of superstition. I, I, I'm struggling to come up with an example, but if I wanted people actually to change their behavior in relation to wearing masks or climate change or voting rights, for that matter, any number of incredibly pressing concerns, because we see the widespread effectiveness of superstition, maybe the deployment of superstition to bring about positive behaviors is not such a bad use of superstition. So I would grant that there are neutral or harmless superstitions, like knocking on wood, but I don't think that there are positive ones. And then that's not to disagree with your point that superstitions are very powerful influencers on our behaviors. Right. Obviously, that's true. But I think that the problem is that all of our deeply held beliefs are tangled up in, mm -hmm. in a web. And it's not as if you can pull out one of them and it'd be entirely disconnected from all of the others. So let's imagine I ran an ad in Mississippi or Tennessee that said, wearing masks in public prevent against your kid turning gay, <laughs> right? Like, it, I mean, there would be a lot more people wearing masks in public right now. But I'm basing that false belief on another false belief. Right. And, and this gets back to, I think, the now season-long disagreement between, I mean, you and I, Rick, and also Charles, about how effective is critical thinking mm. for disabusing people of beliefs that are harmful and beliefs that influence practices that are harmful. And I just don't want to tell people that they're not living in a simulation if I know they're living in a simulation, even if it makes them happy. No, I certainly would not go that route. Because that's just doubling down on a prejudicial and a depressive belief system. But if you could tell people in very religious areas that the devil moved through the air on COVID, then maybe they would put on masks. Yeah, and then they would start believing that the devil moves in the air, you know, on rainbows. And then they would start, you know, tracking down queer people to kill. There's just no climbing out of that hole. No, no, I agree. And let me say a number of things. One is, I think particularly as an instructor of philosophy, that for me, it is my ethical duty not to knowingly speak falsehoods. Mm -hmm. And so I would not knowingly say you're not living in a simulation when I know that you are living in a simulation. However, what I will say, and I do say, is it doesn't make a difference. And your knowledge, one way or the other, doesn't change anything. I think part of this comes down to the relationship I see between superstition and what used to be called just plain old ideology. And I'm more and more suspicious that ideology is ineliminable and that in such a situation, the issue is not ideology versus truth, but playing the ideological game much more effectively. Fantastic example of Rick's philosophical pessimism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, that's exactly, I mean, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah.
Well, Rami has just slid the tab across the bar, threw the salt over his shoulders, turned the lights on and off four times, and spun around with Sage. So I think that means it's time for us to pay up and and get out of the bar. But before we do, Lee, is there anything we left on the table? Knock on wood, we haven't. (laughs) I mean, I suppose one thing that I do want to re-emphasize is that I do believe that there are harmless superstitions. For example, you know, I don't have human children, but if I had human children, I would let them believe in Santa Claus. It seems like largely harmless to me. So all due respect to Stevie Wonder, I do not think that if you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Sometimes you don't suffer when you believe in things that you don't understand. But I do think that if there is the possibility to understand and to know things and you choose to believe in things as if they can't be understood, then you suffer. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and I need to restack my chips because I just noticed (laughs) that they're in the wrong order. And I'll see you all later. Take care. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) 